Connie, did you want to come down? No, yeah, kidding. Huh? Sure. Sure, you can come up. Just don't take all the seats. Well, uh, it's interesting this morning because I really didn't, didn't know what I was going to say this morning and uh, sat there this morning and listened to the worship band um, sing their songs. And we ended with that, that song saying, I will sing of the goodness of God. Okay, amen, 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 buddy. So, so the idea is that we sing of the goodness of God, and we don't always know what God's doing, but we know this. The scriptures tell us that God is working all things out for good, right, for those who what? Who love him and who are called according to his purpose, right? Not sure about that one. <laughs> anyway, let's sing. Or let's sing. No, 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 you don't want me to sing. You don't want me to sing. No, no. Let's pray. I'm better at praying than singing. But. So let's, let's, let's pray, okay, buddy? We're going to pray. Here we go. Ready? You ready? All right. Here we go. Father God, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, we don't always know. Um, what you're doing in our world, but Lord, and even in our lives, Lord, but we know that all things work out for the good for those who you love, for, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So we pray, Lord, that we would continue to fall in love with you, and Lord, that um, our lives would be according to your purpose for your will, and Lord, that we would always see your goodness being displayed in our lives and in our world. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for. Um, those you have gathered here this morning, and we thank you for these hearts, Lord, um, that want to praise you and worship you and uh, give glory to your name. We pray, you, we pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's children say, Amen. 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 Thanks, son. You, sh- you guys sure you don't want me to hear me sing? No. No? Okay. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Right or wrong, for better or for worse, I've never been a person who is very good at accepting uh, just because as the reason uh, for something. Didn't work out too well when I was a kid. There's just something in me that needs to understand the whys and the what-fors and the reasoning behind why we're doing something or why we're being taught or what we're being taught. I don't know how I made it 21 years in the military, because hearing the, the reasoning as to why we're doing something is because we've always done it that way. It just irks me. It just doesn't sit well uh, with me. I grew up in a church belief system that wasn't allowed to question why things were done certain ways. If you question why the church taught or practiced something or why God does something this way or that way, you were wrong or sinful or lacking faith. Don't question it. 
just trust it. So one of the greatest realizations of my life when I came to Saving Faith and I found out that I could get details from God on things. I could ask God why, just like David does in the Psalms. I could search the scriptures and examine how things work, just like the Bereans, and see for myself how God works things out as he speaks to me through his word. We're given a very great promise in the beginning of Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is a very wonderful promise and an almost unbelievable promise as you know yourself and you think about these things. I mean, just, just as you were praying to the kids, I was thinking about the goodness of God and the love. And, and I was praying, you know, I, I feel the conviction of things in my, my life. Help me to have a better heart understanding of your love for me and the gospel and how that speaks to those things I've been convicted of, the forgiveness that I have. While um, these promises are wonderful and unbelievable, and while it is one in verse 34 here, that you do grasp hold of by faith, it doesn't mean that there isn't biblical substance behind it and supporting it to give us the reasons why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What I mean is, you absolutely must believe by faith that the removal of your condemnation comes only through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Completely by faith. Your hope and the possibility of having condemnation removed at judgment must rely on that. You can't rely on religious performance or religious rituals. You must rely on Jesus Christ alone, not by sight, but by faith. Yet even in that, even in that, where God absolutely has the right to say, trust me and don't question, he still gives us the reasons. He still shows us through his word. He tells us there's no condemnation, and that is enough for us. But then he also tells us exactly why you're not condemned. And today, in verse 34, it's one of those places where he tells us exactly why there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Let's look at this together. We want to see it. We want to appreciate it. We want to trust in it. We want to grow in our faith and knowing no condemnation. So I'll start with verse 31, and I'll read to verse 34. <clears throat> what shall we say then? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So first, we see that Jesus paid it all. Paul is asking another of his rhetorical questions that answers his main question there, what shall we say to these things? And the answer implied to the question, as it has been all along here in these last few weeks, who is to condemn? Again, it's meant to be answered, no one. No one. But then Paul's going to give us four reasons why no one can condemn those who are united to Jesus Christ. First is that Christ Jesus is the one who died, who paid it all. The reason no one can condemn us is because Jesus has paid the punishment for your sins on the cross. It's the heart of the gospel that you are a sinner. You made yourself by your sins an enemy of God. And as we learned at the way back years ago when we were in Romans chapter 1, that the wrath of God is being poured out against all sin. And the punishment that we earn by our sin is death, an eternal death, eternal separation from God in hell. That's the punishment we all earn. Jesus came, and when he died, what Paul's saying, Christ Jesus is the one who died. It wasn't you physically taking that death, that punishment for your sins. Christ Jesus died on the cross. For all who would look on him in faith, their sins would be forgiven. This is what we're talking about in Christianity Explored. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. We're saying, who is Jesus? You've got to reconcile who he is, who he really is, who the, the Bible says he is. And then what does that mean for you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. When you stand before God, Satan brings accusations against you. True accusations. Things that you've really done and said and thought or failed to do and say and think. No matter what they are, how big or how small, if you are in Jesus Christ, your faith has been put in him, he took those punishments for the punishment for your sins. And therefore, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Everything for those who put their faith in Jesus, everything that they had ever done, everything that they're doing actively, everything that they ever will do, Jesus paid it all. He didn't just wipe the slate clean and then now as you live your Christian life, there's some sort of penance you must pay for the sins you commit. After you become a Christian, he paid for all of it on the cross. There's a great tragedy in the kind of teaching, the, the teaching of purgatory or, or of some legalism, this idea that 
Jesus didn't pay it all and you have to pay some of what he, what on top of what he already paid, it waters down the glorious gift of the gospel. It takes our glorious Savior who we look up and we're in shock and we're in awe and we say, you did this for me? And it starts to give us a little bit of that glory and it says, you did some of it for me. You started it. And I, through my work and effort, did the rest. It steals, it robs him of his glory. Christ Jesus is the one who died and his death was enough. So do you believe, do you live like it was enough for you? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ Jesus is the one who died and it is enough. More than that. Second one. Why can no one condemn? Because Jesus Christ is the one who was raised. He conquered, was victorious over death. Paul says more than that. More than that. What could possibly be greater than Jesus dying for the sins of his enemies? Well, the answer, Jesus being raised. Being raised from the dead, proving he was who he says he was. Securing that justification as we just sang, right? Rising he justified freely forever. He was who he says he was, and he conquered death. The still dead Jesus means Satan won, and death is victorious. It means that's the end. We should fear death. This life is as good as it's going to get, so we should live our best life now. We should have a great fear of that death if Jesus was still dead. It means he was merely a man. But Jesus was raised from the dead. Ensuring that not just your punishment was paid for, but that your life was also ransomed. And you would be united to him for all eternity. His resurrection broke the chains of slavery to sin and slavery to Satan and set you free to live for righteousness. Romans 6, you can flip back a few pages in your Bible. Starting at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Right? So, so if, your, if your sins were put to death on the cross... You're going to claim that. You're going to accept that. If that is going to be what you hold on to, well, he was also raised. So that means if you're united to him in his death, you're going to be united to him in his resurrection. 
That means you live differently. He set you free to live differently. Not just to have the bad things that you've done wiped away, but to live differently. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Meaning all your, all your sins were paid for. He's not going to do it again. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We live. Our great Redeemer lives. And we're united to him. So we live. Yeah, it's not just a ticket to heaven punched. It's a new life here on earth. You've been set free not to live for yourself and all the selfish ways and the sinful ways and the, the why me's and all those things that as we become navel gazers and we, we get consumed with ourselves, we've been set free to stop looking at ourselves and to look up at him and to live for him. That is a wonderful truth and a wonderful reality. It isn't a now you must do this. You must start living like a Christian. It's been, you've been set free to live this way. You were created to live this way. You enslaved yourself into sin and he set you free by his resurrection. Why is there no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? They've been set free through his resurrection. Now, when, when the works of your life are being read, there's going to be some good works in there, some God-glorifying works as an evidence that Jesus has done this in you. So don't go back to sin. Don't go back to the old way. Let's say you were set free from some horrible earthly situation, condition. So many out there. You could think of your own, right? You're in great debt and you were made debt-free or you had very poor health <clears throat> and you were restored to perfect health. You were in a very abusive relationship and restored to a loving relationship. You were enslaved to drink or drugs through an addiction and you were restored to sobriety, set free from those. Slavery to sin means the dog returns to its vomit. You go back to it. Yeah, things were wiped away, but I'm going to go back to it because it's just who I am. It's just what I do. That's slavery to it. But Jesus has set you free. He set you free. So think of all the things in your life that have dominated you. That have had seemingly control over you. He set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed and free to live a new life for him. 
Paul says Galatians 2.20, read it all the time. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not only that, he was raised means his victory over deaths over death guarantees your victory over death. Philippians 1.21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because Jesus was raised, because Jesus has victory over death, that means your death is no longer a condemnation but a promotion. This isn't as good as it gets. With him is as good as it gets. And death is just a way to get there. No longer do we live in fear of it and the power that it has over us. But we wait. He's either returning, right? One day the trumpets will sound for his coming. That'll be pretty awesome. Or we're getting promoted. And his resurrection ensured that. Third, <coughs> He has a name above every other name. Why can no one condemn those who are in Christ Jesus, united to Jesus Christ? As Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? He lives in me and I in him. Why can no one condemn those who are in Christ Jesus? Because Jesus is exalted and seated at the right hand of God. We have hitched our wagons to Jesus, if you will. Isn't like pledging your allegiance to a country or throwing your hat in with a politician or a military leader or a boss at work. It's not like choosing the right side. You are permanently and effectively united with the sovereign creator God of the universe. That's who you're united with. Not just some person. Not just some dude. Some man. This is what Hebrews says long ago at many times, Hebrews chapter 1. And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. This is who you're united to. He is the radiance of of the glory of God. You want to see the glory of God? Look at Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You don't blink unless he allows it. You don't take another breath unless he allows it. Our atmosphere doesn't stay the way that it is, and no stars hang in the universe unless he allows every millisecond of it. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is who we're united to. Picture the scene. 
again, at judgment. Jesus is there. He's next to you, and his arm is around you. Now picture Satan or someone else showing up at the scene, trying to bring charges and accusations and condemnation. And you're with Jesus, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, whose arm is around you and said, this one is mine. Who's going to condemn? Who's going to condemn? Paul says in Philippians 2, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he says, you're mine. Who's going to bring a condemnation against you now? You belong to the Savior through whom the world, the universe was created. Who upholds the universe by the word of of his power. Who everything in existence is going to bow down to and say, you are Lord Who's going to bring any condemnation against you then? Again, the answer is no one. So you have to say, ask yourself, how big is my Jesus? Do I make him a little bitty pocket-sized Jesus who I pull out every now and then when I really need something? Who I pray to, but I'm not really sure if he is going to help me or wants to help me or cares Do I make my Jesus really small, or do I worship the Jesus of the Bible? How big is Jesus? Is your picture of Jesus limited and toothless, or do you have a biblical view of Jesus? Why can no one condemn those who are in Christ Jesus? Our God is for us. Who could be against us? Lastly, Because there's only one mediator between God and men. As if those reasons aren't enough, no one can condemn those in Christ Jesus because Jesus is actively interceding for us. He's active. Let's look at some ways that he has done this. Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Peter wasn't innocent, right? He's getting ready to deny Jesus what, you know, feels like the ultimate. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. This is who's interceding for you. This is what he's doing. He's praying for you that your faith may not fail. When it feels like our belief, it's so shallow, it's hanging on by a thin thread. We're questioning so many things. He's interceding for you. John 17, 
This is Jesus' high priestly prayer to his father about his sheep. He says, I'm praying for them, his disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. It's verse 9, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he prays this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He prayed, Jesus prays this for you. Sanctify them. What does that mean? Make them more like me, he's saying. Grow them in Christ's likeness, in godliness. Jesus is praying this for you. Sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. Grow them more like me through your word. Jesus intercedes for you in this way. Hebrews 9 gives us a couple of examples. Christ has entered not only, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's up there for you, little old you. Prone to wonder you. Prone to have doubts you. Prone to be tempted and sin you. He's interceding for you. <clears throat> Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This wasn't a one-time thing that happened in the past. Jesus, our Savior, this is an active now and guaranteed to still continue for the future sort of thing. Our Redeemer lives. He lives. Boy, we're celebrating that coming up, right? What an early Easter we have this year. It's hard. I'm not emotionally prepared for it all yet. Well, we get to sing all those wonderful songs and be reminded of these wonderful truths that he lives and he's alive. Not only does he live, but he lives to make intercession for us, for his, for his own, those who put their trust in him, those who surrendered their life to him, those who here on earth have called him Lord and submitted their lives to him. So I'm going to live for you. How great does it feel to know that others are praying for you, right? It feels pretty good. When someone says that, especially it catches you off guard and out of the blue, it's like, wow, I feel loved by that person that they would take time to intercede on my behalf to God. How about Jesus praying for you? How good does that feel? <laughs> feels pretty good since it's constant, So no one can condemn those in Christ Jesus because Jesus is interceding for them. It is enough that God says, trust me, right? 
It's enough. It is. But it brings glory to his great name when he shows you how, why. He puts it on display why you should trust him. He says to put your faith in Jesus, hit your wagon to him, put your lot in with Jesus and trust him. And because you are his, there is no condemnation. And now this is why there's no condemnation for you. Because Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins to put you in right standing with our holy Father God. And more than that, he was raised to conquer death, to unite you to him, to bring you freedom and life now, and to live in his name now, new life. If anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. They're a new creation. And he, the very image of God, through whom God created the world, the name above every single other name, the one to whom all creation will bow their knees, he's yours and you're his. Lastly, because he lives to intercede for you. He hasn't left you on your own. He promised not to leave you nor forsake you, and he hasn't. Jesus himself prays for you. Who can condemn those who are in Christ Jesus? No one, because that is who you are united to. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us this in this one little verse. You remind us how marvelous you are, Jesus. How undeserving we are. How loving and gracious and merciful you are. This glorious truth that we can never lose you because you will never lose us. You intercede for us. You are almighty and you are all powerful. You came on this earth and have done what no other person has done, living the sinless life and rising from the dead, conquering death. And now you call us yours. Help us to live in that. Help us to know it new and fresh ways today, to trust in it, to rejoice in it. And may that bring you glory through our praises. It's in your name we pray. Amen.